Amen. Thank you, guys. Brian, good to have you today. Thank you. Well, good morning. So glad you're with us at South City. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new to us, we hope that you feel like you're treated like part of our family. We want you to be. Uh, we love you. We're excited that you're with us today, even if you're just here for the day to celebrate your dad. Uh, what, a, what an amazing day already. I'm just, uh, just to be together, just to eat together, to celebrate uh, together the goodness of our good father uh, as we celebrate our earthly fathers and as we have an opportunity to come together as family. Church is not just something you show up to and you receive something. It's not just something you get. You go see a message. You go hear some music. No, church is a family. And it's so good to be with my family today. Amen? All right, so we've been in the book of Acts. And last Sunday, we were kind of wrapping up. I don't know if you're like me, kind of ready to see Paul move on a little bit. And we need to see something else happening with Paul. Uh, he's been in these trials. He's been uh, trying to defend himself but he's been exactly where God wanted him to be. That even sometimes in the middle of the places that feel like a desert or even a prison, circumstances, situations, seasons of our lives that we go, I don't really want to be here, God. I don't really want to walk through this season. God places us there sometimes for a purpose. And so here's Paul, finally. He's finishing this fifth defense before King Herod Agrippa, king of the Jews, Agrippa II, and Festus. And he's given his defense, and he, he's told these guys, listen, Jesus is Messiah. And he's saying, King Agrippa, you ought to know this. You're king of the Jews. Messiah, we, we read about him. We've read about him for so long as a, as a people of a Jewish faith. And Jesus has come. He's met every requirement. He's met every prophecy. It's Jesus, crucified and risen. And Agrippa has this famous line from Acts 26 where he says, you think you can persuade me to be a Christian in that short little speech? Sadly, Agrippa, Festus, Bernice, the rest of the people that were with him uh, don't seem to surrender to Jesus. They don't seem to give their hearts and their lives to the Lord. But they do get up from the trial and leave, and they collectively say, this man is innocent. There's nothing he's done deserving of death or prison, uh, yet he stays in prison, <laughs> right? This is... Paul's M.O., this is where he's been, this is where he will continue to stay, really, for the rest of his life. So they decide, well, he's, uh, he's appealed to go to Caesar in Rome, so to Caesar, that's where he'll go. So today, we're getting into, and I think this is awesome on Father's Day, I don't know if you're like me, as fathers, as men, we like things of adventure. Whether we're involved or not is, is not as important. We can just watch adventure and vicariously be adventurous, Right? I watch Alaskan shows all the time. I'm building log cabins. I'm shooting big animals all the time as I watch vicariously through my television. It's adventure. We enjoy it. And today is no different. We have an adventurous, amazing text that I'm excited to get into today. So if you've got your Bible, turn over to Acts 27. Now, one of the things I want to remind you that we're trying to do is studying our Bible and you having your Bible and this, this, this document that God has given us we call a Bible is so important. So whether you have an actual physical Bible or you're, you're reading online on your phone or whatever, great. But what we're trying to do is encourage you to be involved and active in your Bible. So we're not going to put up the main text on the screen. So you can read it right on your own device or in your own text, okay? That's one of the reasons we're doing that, to encourage us in the Word. But today is going to be a little different. As I read this, I'm going to put up a map 
And so as you're reading along in your own text, I want you to sort of be able to go with me on this journey with Paul because he's going a lot of places and a lot of things are happening. Far bottom right, Caesarea Maritima. This is the place that uh, Herod the Great has built right here in uh, Caesarea, an amazing palace. He's been in prison there. And this is going to be the beginning of the journey that we read about today. So you can read in your word and follow along on the map, all right? Acts 27, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in for, sorry, I got lost. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. That just means to the north of Cyprus. And when we sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship uh, of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Sinaitis. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee uh, of Crete off Solomone. Again, off the lee just means to the north of. Coasting along it we, uh, with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, which is near the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So a lot of travel, a lot of names, a lot of locations, but let's pray that God would open our hearts to what he wants to speak to us through this text this morning. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for this story. Thank you for the reminder in our own lives that you are always with us, that you're a good, good Father, that you are perfect in all of your ways, even when your ways uh, seem difficult for us, even when we go through storms in life that we don't understand and we can barely endure, you're a good father and you're perfect in all of your ways. Lord, we love you. We give you this time. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God, that you would speak truth to our hearts and guide us into all truth, that you would increase, Father, today and that I would decrease that uh, what would be left is your word and by your grace, our obedience to follow it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, three things I wanna talk about this morning from the text. We're actually gonna read verse one all the way to verse 26, so we're gonna get there in just a minute. This is the first section. Three things I want us to see. I want us to see the journey because it's a big part of the story today. Then I want us to see right in the middle of the journey comes a massive storm. And uh, it's pretty scary. But right in the middle of a massive storm comes a promise of God. And that's where we find our hope today. So let's talk about the journey. Lots of details, uh, lots of locations, six different characters, 13 different locations mentioned. Um, 
Paul's on this journey not by himself. He's with some other travels, travelers. You might notice the first traveler with him is in very, the very first verse. Let me see if I can help you figure out. It doesn't say who it is. You have to search a little bit. That's what it says. And when we decided that we should set sail for Italy, who, who would be saying we? Thank you. Luke, right? Luke wrote the book of Acts. He's writing in the first person. Luke is on board. Luke is next to Paul. Luke is traveling with him. Isn't that interesting? He's right there. So he's not listed, but he is listed. He says we. So this is important. Luke is with him. He's writing in a first-hand account. Uh, The text tells us there's other prisoners going to Rome. There's a good chance that these other prisoners have been sentenced to death. And often many prisoners who've been sentenced to death go to uh, be killed in the Colosseum in Rome. So it's possible that the prisoners with him are headed to the Colosseum literally to die. Uh, There's other, uh, we see the pilot and we see uh, the the ship owner, but we also see that there's a Roman soldier by the name of Julius. And Julius is actually a pretty nice guy, even though he's he's a Roman soldier. He he says he's of the Augustan, Augustan cohort, or some of your texts may say Imperial Regiment, but he's been assigned to accompany Paul and these other prisoners from Caesarea to Rome. We've got to get them to, to Rome. He's the one choosing the ships. He's finding the right path, but he's in charge of getting them there. Uh, he's, he's a nice guy. It says in the text that when they get to Sidon, he lets Paul visit with his friends, like get off the boat, spend some time with his friends. So he's a nice guy, and he seems to give some favor to Paul. And I'm going to tell you maybe why here in just a minute. The other person traveling with Paul is this travel companion, Aristarchus. If that name sounds familiar, it's because we've seen him before. We were studying through Acts in uh, chapter 19. You might remember Paul is preaching. The Holy Spirit of God is doing amazing work in Ephesus. People who have been following the devil and worshiping idols and doing crazy things, they're, they're breaking their idols. They're burning their books, the things of, of, of spells and things like that. They are wanting to honor God with their lives. Well, the people who make those little idols are losing a lot of business. Remember that? And they get frustrated with Paul and all his companions. And so what do they do? They're like, okay, well, we'll just kill some people. So they go and grab two guys and take them to the theater, Gaius and Aristarchus, this guy. They're going to take him to the theater and they're going to murder them. But this Roman uh, towns clerk comes in and says, whoa, 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 whoa. We have a system for this. If If you're upset with somebody, take them to court. We don't just kill people. And we definitely don't riot. And so thankfully... He kind of, the crowd kind of subsides and saves their lives, and Aristarchus continues on the journey with Paul. We also see Paul call Aristarchus a fellow prisoner in Colossians 4.10, but then uh, he gets a little bit of promotion. In Philemon, Paul calls him his co-worker. So here's this guy who's willing to, to suffer with Paul. He's willing to walk out life with him. He's on ministry with Paul. He's in the ministry with Paul. He's willing to serve Paul. And one of the interesting things I saw in the commentary this week when I was studying this text is that one of the reasons potentially that the uh, Roman soldier gave favor to Paul is because it could, he could have seen Aristarchus and Luke as Paul's slaves, the way they're caring for him, the way they're, they're working with him. Otherwise, why would you let two guys on a ship? There's not a whole lot of room on this ship. 
And so the, the commentarian was saying that it's possible that he gave respect to Paul because he thought he was maybe a man of means, even though he was a prisoner, maybe he had these, these, these slaves. I don't know. But clearly these two men were serving Paul and caring for his needs in a beautiful way. So we got a lot of uh, locations, and we've gone through the map, and you got a chance to kind of see how things were going. And we may look at that, that again next week as we get into a little bit more of this story. But we see that, that even in the first 12 verses, it starts to get dangerous. If you're a person who sails a lot back in that time period, you knew that you did not ever sail into open water between September and November. It's just too dangerous, too many storms, too high seas. And so you'll notice that Luke... Uh, makes this comment that it had already been uh, after the fast. The fast was over. What he's talking about is the Jewish fast, a day of atonement, which usually happens at the end of September or early October. He's saying this about the fast so that he can kind of give you a sense of the time of year. So when you say day of atonement, you go, oh, that's, that's, that's late September, early October. They better not be an open sea. You know, there's that sense as he's writing this because it's so dangerous. Well, Paul He's a seasoned traveler. Paul's been on some boats. He's been on some seas before. And so Paul steps up, lowly prisoner in his chains. <clears throat> Excuse me, <laughs> right? Uh, can, I, can I just make a suggestion, right? I don't, think we ought to, I don't think we ought to sail out into open water. Look what he says. Sirs, verse 10, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, and not only of the cargo and the ship, but of also of our lives. So here, Paul's not speaking for the Lord here in this moment. He's speaking from his own experience. This is not a, quote, a prophetic word. This is a personal word. Hey, I, this doesn't look good to me. I think maybe we shouldn't sail. Some bad things could happen if we leave this port. Well, obviously, they don't listen to Paul. But Paul was a seasoned traveler. Uh, it's estimated that he had had 11 voyages up to this point that represented 3,500 nautical miles. Paul had been on the sea. He knew when to sail and when not to sail. He had already been through three shipwrecks. He didn't want to go through another. So maybe they should have listened to Paul because then a storm hits. Look with me, Acts 27, verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, in other words, another translation might say, when they had an opportunity, right? Supposing that they had obtained their purpose or had an opportunity, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee or the north uh, of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hosting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, when neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned." Don't you really notice that last sentence? Sometimes in these narrative texts, we have a tendency just to read through. Don't miss verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last 
abandoned. This was a major storm. This was very serious. These are hurricane-force winds blowing down on this little fishing or sailing vessel. It gets really ugly really quick, and the crew starts taking measures to try and not die, to not lose the ship, right? Luke says that we, again, he puts himself into this uh, role, we got the lifeboat secured, and it was difficult to get the lifeboat secured. But we got it tied up. And he says, then they took ropes and undergirded the ship. They literally put ropes underneath the ship and tied them together just to try and lash the ship together in case it was hit with these hurricane force winds further and would break up the boat. Their next measure was to lower the sail because if they kept going along the way they were going, they were going to hit the Sirtis, which are sands in the ocean. And if they were to hit that ground, they could break up the boat. So they lowered the, the main sail to be able to turn away from those sands just to live. Even though it was toward open water, let's just try and stay alive. Then things got even more serious because uh, John Stott says this vessel was a grain vessel. Ships coming from Alexandria, that was the main area that, that the main export was wheat. And so this is a boat full of wheat headed to take this wheat to Rome. This is how they make money. And guess one of the last things they do is lose money. And so they begin to take their money, that wheat, and throw that wheat overboard because it's so heavy to try and lighten the boat so it doesn't run aground in the sands. So that's pretty serious. Now it's so serious, we don't care if we make money, right? Then the next thing, the fifth thing, they take their tackle and they throw it over. So now we don't care if we make money and we don't care if we eat. You see that? I mean, it's just increasingly more significant. They take measures that are not that serious to more serious to, oh my gosh, we're about to die. This is a serious storm. I want you just in your mind to go there for a moment. In the terror of complete darkness on a raging sea, no sunlight, no stars. One, one commentary I read said it was about 11 days at sea. And they were very hungry, very hungry. They hadn't eaten in days and then Luke says, and don't miss this, all hope, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. Friends, that, that, that sentence, if we just camp out there for a moment, that is hopelessness. That is being done. That is, that is it's over. This is the moment you give up. Don't miss the fact that the Apostle Paul and Luke have both been in a circumstance where they felt like, we're done. There is no more hope. Have you ever been there? Really, I mean, have you been there? Have you been in a hospital room where you thought, this is it? In a car accident? Some point in your life of, of struggle or addiction or brokenness that you thought, this is it. I have no more hope. I don't want you to miss the fact that Paul and Luke, Aristarchus, they are there. All hope of being saved was at last abandoned. We gave up. You know, I was looking at this. I couldn't help but think as I was studying this. Paul's been in prison for two years. Innocent, mind you, the whole time. He's been beaten. He's had plots against his life. He narrowly escapes this prison. Finally, I get to move on with the mission. I get to see some friends. I get to get back on the water. 
bam, storm hits him. And he, he's at the point in the middle of the ocean and the storm hits and he says, all hope of being saved is lost. I couldn't help, if it were me, I just couldn't help but think, really God? Really? I've served you in prison for two years. I've been willing to give my life. I've been willing to die for you. And you wanted me to move and go to Rome. And, and here we go. And the storm, really, God? Have you ever felt that? Because we feel it at different times of our lives. Our lives are a, a chain of events that look like this and then this. And this and then this. And sometimes you find yourself saying, really, God? See, on Paul's journey, just like yours and just like mine, when it seems hopeless, listen, when it seems super hopeless, that's exactly where God likes to show up. Isn't it? I mean, when you, you don't know what to do, when you don't know what to do next, when you, you can't figure it out and you're just like, all hope is lost, that's when God truly shows up and he shows up to Paul and he gives him a promise. That's the third thing I want to show you. Acts 27 Verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. <laughs> I just love this text. I, I, I also love Paul going, you guys should have listened to me, huh? Don't you love that? You just see these little moments of humanity. Paul dips into humanity. Oh, yeah, when you get back to the message, I'm supposed to tell you. You should have listened to me, but anyway, okay, never mind, never mind that. And then Paul says, I want you to take heart. Be encouraged. You're not going to die. You're going to lose the ship. <laughs> You're like, oh, we're not going to die. We're going to lose the ship. What? This is, this, is, this is what Paul's encouraging them with. You're not going to die. We will lose the ship. But take heart. I, I love that Paul mentions this angel and the way he puts it. Listen to the way he puts it. An angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship stood beside me. When I thought of that and I thought about it a little bit, I thought, you know what Paul's doing? There's a sense of mission here. Even in the middle of a dark sea, even in the middle of hopelessness, Paul is trying to explain who God is to these other guys. Isn't that cool? He says, the God whom I worship, the God to whom I belong, there was an angel that showed up. In other words, I serve a God who loves me so much, who is so present in my life, whom I belong to. See, he, he, even in that moment of literally near death, he's thinking about these guys. He's trying to explain who God is. This is the God who I serve and the God of whom I belong. Next, he says, I belong to God. In other words, my life is his life. I'm not worried about my life. He could, he could kill me here if he wants or he could send me on, but my life is his. I belong to him. Then he says, 
that the angel tells him, do not be afraid. Now, there's something that's not written in here. You have to look for it. Let me tell you something. Angels of God don't tell people not to be afraid unless they're what? Afraid. Luke doesn't say Paul's afraid, but the angel does. (laughs) Do you get that? We don't see Paul being afraid, but the angel comes to him and, and basically says, you've been praying, and God's answer to your prayer is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Paul. But Paul was afraid. Then he says, listen, you've got to stand before Caesar. He reminds him of his mission. Your life is not over. You've got to keep going. And then he says, God has granted you all those who sail with you again. Look behind it. Why has he granted this to Paul? Because Paul has been praying for his captors. He's been praying for everybody on that ship. And the angel says, I'm answering your prayer, and God has granted you this answer to your prayer, and he's going to give you the lives of all the people on this ship. And so Paul says, take heart, men. It's the second time he says, take heart. Take heart, men. And I love this phrase. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. In other words, God encourages Paul. He strengthens Paul. Paul so Paul can turn around and encourage these men and strengthen these men. It's exactly what he wants to do in the middle of your storm. Encourage you. Strengthen you. So then you turn around and and to go to the people around you and go, God is faithful. Take heart. Be encouraged. Be strong. I have the faith that it's going to be exactly the way he said it's going to be. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3. One of my favorite verses. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Why are you going through the storm? Partly because God wants you to comfort somebody else. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Friends, can I just tell you, God wants to use your faith even when it's hard to have it. He wants to use your faith in his promises to give hope to people who don't have it. That's what he wants to do through you. Strengthen your resolve. Strengthen your faith give you hope so that you can be reminding those who don't have it. I'll never forget a few years ago, I had a friend who had found himself in some deep sinful issues and brokenness. And it was this moment where he didn't know what he was gonna do. He he was scared, he was uh, repentant, he was broken. And I remember using this phrase with him and praying with him saying, hey, I want you to borrow my faith. Borrow my faith because I know that God will restore you because that's what he does. He loves you. He wants to comfort you so that you can comfort someone else. Promise you that's what he'll do. So borrow my faith. If you don't have it right now, borrow mine. It's exactly what Paul's doing. Take courage. Take heart. Borrow my faith. Have faith just because I do if you have to. Believe through me if you have to. 
Use my faith that God will do what he says he will do. Fathers, can I talk to you for a minute? Men, God wants to use your faith and your leadership to encourage and strengthen your family. To give them hope that God will do everything he said he will do, that his word is true. It's on you, it's on me. That's our job, to encourage and strengthen our family, just as Paul stood before these men and say, family, family, take heart. I have faith that God's gonna do exactly what he said he's gonna do. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's what Paul said, it's what you can say to your family as you're following Christ. But my question for you this morning, dads, is this. How are you doing as a servant leader in your home? How are you doing? Are you taking opportunities to serve, to disciple, to teach, to direct your family to the things of God when we have opportunities to do that? Are we doing that? Are we leading that way? No one has your influence like you do. No one. You have unbelievable influence over your family, over your home. Use it for Christ. Can I just say this too? You can't give away what you don't have. You cannot give away what you don't have. Do you have faith this morning? Do you know Jesus? Are you serving him? Do you love him? Do you believe his word? Because if you don't, you can't give that stuff away. But if you don't today, right now, you can say, Lord, help me believe. Give me wisdom. Give me faith. Help me to trust you. Start me in the path of leading my family towards you. Then I just ask, how is your faith? If you have it, how is your faith? Are you intentionally passing it on? Uh, There's a verse in Ephesians that's pretty convicting to me. As a father, Ephesians 6, 4. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Does it say mothers? Does it say moms and dads? Listen, I believe moms and dads are unbelievably important to raising their children in the Lord. But in this verse, he's speaking to fathers. Is that convicting? Don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Is it the youth pastor's job? Is it the pastor's job? Is it the church? Fathers, on this Father's Day, hear this command of the Lord. Raise your children in Jesus. Be a leader. Use your influence and be intentional to raise them in his word and in your faith that you pass along. Can I tell you, not just in your home, but wherever you go, in your work, in your hobbies, people need hope and encouragement. They need to see your faith. Your faith needs to be lived out before them and passed on intentionally to them. And lastly, in the very last verse of our text, I think it's just kind of funny and interesting how it matches and models our lives. Paul says, tells those that he's with, hey, listen, We're not gonna die, we're not gonna die, but we have to run aground on an island soon, right? It's like, what? No, just like life, I mean, you're just coming off the high of the win. Our family, we've we've done this, I got the new position, and and then 
bam, uppercut with some tragedy, some difficulty, something that is hard and hurts. And you have to walk through that and go, God, really? Paul says we're going to run aground on some island. Not sure when, not sure where, not sure what all's going to happen, what it's going to look like, but we're going to lose the ship. Friends, can I just give you something that's the truth this morning? I'm not sure when, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure how, what it's going to look like, but you're going to run aground. You've already done it probably several times, and there may be several more, but we're going to run aground. We're going to lose the ship. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to have trials. You know, I, I think I was thinking about the health and wellness people, the prosperity gospel people, going, what do they do with this story? Was Paul in God's will? You mean Paul hadn't left God's will? No. Paul was in the center of God's will, and yet he was in the eye of the storm. That doesn't, that doesn't jive in health and wellness prosperity gospel. They say we shouldn't have to walk through storms. We shouldn't be sick. We shouldn't face difficulty. Look at this story of Paul in the center of God's will and yet in the eye of the storm, facing unbelievable difficulty for years on end. We will face trials, but can I just tell you, can I encourage you? God wants to turn your storm, the storm in your life, into his story through you. Are you hearing me? He wants to use the brokenness of your life. He wants to, to use the pain for a purpose. In fact, Jesus promised it's going to happen. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul says, We sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for it. What are we destined for? Afflictions. What are we destined for? Suffering, difficulty, trial, brokenness. We're destined for it. But there's a reason. There's a purpose in the pain. Look what Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 5. He's going to tell us that there's a prerequisite to being like Christ, and unfortunately, it's through suffering. Verse 10, chapter 5, 1 Peter, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus himself will restore you. Jesus himself will confirm and establish and strengthen you, but not until what? You suffer a little while. It's the prerequisite to becoming like Christ. You don't get out of this course in being like Jesus. You gotta go through it. It's not until we suffer a little while that he establishes us, restores us. And how does he do that? With all power and dominion because of who he is. But we don't have to just oh, endure. Oh. Every time somebody comes, how are you doing? Oh, no. you, you know those people like that? How are you doing? 
Oh, well, there's the whole thing. You know, they go right into the struggle. And sometimes we have to be honest about it. Sometimes we got to share it. But Pastor James says there's another way. I think sometimes he knows something we don't. Look at me. Look at me for a second. James 1, chapter 2. Look with me. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? James, why would we do that? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We always talk about have, have joy in our trials, right? But we forget to let steadfastness have its full effect. What is he saying? He's saying hang in there. Endure this season. Walk through it. Know that there's going to be purpose in the pain. And when you know that, when you truly know Jesus is going to be the one that strengthens and establishes and confirms you and restores you, you can have joy, right? When you know there's a purpose, when you know there's another side of this, God is not just dragging you through the crud of life, but he's actually using that crud to to mold you into the image of Jesus. Then you can go, wait a minute, there's purpose in this pain. He's going to use this storm, not for my story, for his story. And I can have joy. I want to close with this. I love that sentence that Paul gives us there in the text when he says, I have faith that it will be exactly as as God has told me it will be. I love that. Can I just encourage you this morning? To have faith, that at the very moment of your hopelessness, at the very moment of your discouragement, your weariness, God meets you. He loves you. He loves to come in and rescue in that moment. But here's our posture in the storm. Okay, you ready? If you're a note taker, take a couple of notes here. When we're in the storm, God wants to remind us to stay on mission. Right? Stay on mission. I love that Paul said he's trying to explain to these ungodly uh, heathens. He says, the God to whom I belong. He kinda, he's, he's trying to communicate. The God to whom I belong. The God whom I worship. Right? He's trying to explain. That, that's mission. That's trying to communicate. That's trying to exegete that moment. Which just means try to define it. Understand it. And speak to who's there so that they can know Jesus too. In the middle of this storm, in the middle of the ocean, Paul's trying to find a way to explain Jesus to these guys. Isn't that awesome? This is the God whom I worship. And he loves me so much, he knows what I'm going through. He sends an angel. He stood before me on this boat. This is the God whom I belong to. Let's just pause for a second. Do you belong to God? Do you know him as your savior? Or do you just have a title of Christian and occasionally I'll show up or pray or whatever? Or do you belong to God? This is not my life. My life doesn't matter anymore. I live for Christ. Which is it for you? Because when you learn that this life is not about you, it changes everything, friends. Can I just tell you that from a personal experience? 
We, we, this world, this Western culture will tell you everything is about you. Be happy. Make so much money. Are you happy? I hope you're happy. If you're not, get out of that relationship. Are you happy? Live the way you want to live, regardless of what God's word says. Are you happy? Just be happy. It's not about being happy because this life is not about you. For a long time, I thought I was the star of this life. I really did. I thought, whew, this life is about me. I got to make my money. I have my family. Oh, yeah, I'm going to serve God. But it's about my story. God, my dreams aren't working out. What's What's the deal? This is the story. I'm, remember, I'm the star. Jesus is like, nope. Paul says, I belong to God. And can I tell you, finally in my life, I can stand here before you and I can say, I belong to God. I'm not my own. My life is not my own. This is not your story. This life you're living is not your story. And when you finally get that, friends, you can be so full of joy and hope and life in Jesus because you finally realized it's his story. You're not the main character, you're a supporting role. And it's beautiful. And he will use you for his glory as you support the story of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But it's not about you. The angel tells Paul, don't be afraid. God wants you to know I'm with you. You know the most used uh, command and promise in the Bible? By far. You know what it is? Do not be afraid for I am with you. It's spoken hundreds of times throughout Scripture. Do not be afraid for I am with you. God wants you to know in the middle of your storm, he is with you. Don't be afraid. The angel told Paul, you've got to go see Caesar. Don't you remember what Jesus told you? You're going to Rome. Friends, don't forget your purpose just because you're walking through a storm. Don't forget what God has called you to. If there's breath in your lungs, then there's purpose for your life. Even in the middle of the brokenness. Even in the middle of the trial. Don't forget your purpose. And then lastly, out in the middle of an ocean, God heard Paul's prayers. Isn't that cool? This angel shows up, I guess only to Paul. Small little space, you would think if a glorious angel showed up, maybe everybody could have said, Why? that's also an interesting thing. Why didn't it just show up to everybody? I don't know. I think he wanted to use Paul to communicate this message. And the angel says, God heard you, and don't be afraid. God heard you, Paul, and he heard your prayers for all these men. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I might have been like, God save us all except the Roman guy. I mean, if he, I'm okay with that, right? Paul prayed for all of those men, and God gives him that prayer and says, No one will die. No one will die. So take heart. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. I want you to see something here as we close. Paul said that the ship was going to run aground. They do. He told them that uh, the ship would be lost. It is. He told them that no one would lose their life, and they won't. Does God keep his word? Can we trust it? Yeah, we can. You can have faith in God because of what he said, and you can know it's true. Just exactly as he said it. So as we close, I would just ask you this question. 
what do you personally, individually, need to do right now to be obedient to Jesus? I don't think we ask that question enough. I, I want to start, start asking it more. What do you personally need to do right now to be obedient to Jesus? Maybe you would say, you know what, honestly, I've been the star of the story. It's all been about me. It's, I get whiny. I get focused on my, my issues. And maybe you need to repent and say, God, it's not my story. It's your story. Maybe that's how you need to be obedient to God. Do you belong to God? Maybe you need to surrender to God. Maybe there's sin in your life and you need to surrender it to the Lord and say, God, it's not about me. It's all about you. What does obedience look like for you? Do you need to be encouraged in the middle of some storm you're walking through? You need to be reminded that you're here for a mission, that there is breath in your lungs because there's a purpose for your life. So are you about that purpose? Do you know what that is? Are you living in that purpose every single day? Are you afraid this morning? Do you need God to say, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Whatever it is, I pray that you would give it to the Lord. We're gonna sing a song and I'm gonna pray. And as I pray, I wanna just, I wanna pray over our fathers and uh, pray for all of us. But what does it take for us to be obedient today? I'll just leave that between you and God. If you wanna stay where you are in your chair and Fathers, you may want to grab your kids and your wife and say, I want to pray. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to pray that as a family. Maybe, maybe you want to come to this altar with your family. Dads, maybe you want to come by yourself and just get out before God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Redirect my life and my heart. Help me to understand it's my responsibility to disciple my children. I don't know what God is laying on your heart about obedience, but would you be obedient to him today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful text. Thank you for this wonderful reminder that God's life sometimes is so difficult. It seems like we can't hardly get two steps forward and three steps back because of the difficulty of life, the brokenness, the struggle, uh, the disappointment the tragedy seems like we can barely get past the, the victory and past the celebration of something you've done before something hits us in life. Lord, I don't know what's happening in the lives of my friends and family this morning, but I pray that we would be obedient to you. Spirit of the living God, what would you have us do? How would you have us obey? How would you have us to surrender now in your presence? because it's not about us. Some, some of us sometimes will just say, Lord, I don't wanna pray, I don't wanna go down, I don't wanna surrender my life. It's because we still think it's about us. But God, in order for us to come to you and say, this is not about me, I surrender my life, I belong to you, we have to surrender it all, we have to lay it all down. God, make us a people ready to lay it all down. We love you. I pray for the fathers in this audience, Jesus. God, I pray that you would help them to lead and to love. We need godly men to stand up and take their place, take their role in the home and the role in the church and their roles in community, Lord, and be the godly men that you are calling us to be. Strengthen the backs of the men in this audience, God. In the name of Jesus and in the power of our faith in you alone, 
not in who we are, not in what we can do, but what you can do through us as we believe that you will do everything you said you will do. Be with these fathers. May they gently lead and love and serve and be a role model as they pass on their faith to their wives, presenting them blameless before you, Lord, to their children, raising them in the admonition and the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. By your grace, God, help me to do that as a father. And forgive me, God, where I haven't. Fill us today with the power of your spirit. Change us for your glory. And use us, God, for your mission. In Jesus' glorious name and the body of Christ said, amen. We